0: One main question that a lot of people ask is, do I need another degree? When you've been trained to to be an academic, for some reason we think that everything we do, you need to have a degree for it. And my answer is no, you don't need that. You are going to, you actually need to lean, learn on the job. If you can get an entry-level job, that is going to be much more valuable to you than a degree in terms of getting into into this field, into this space. And then also, obviously, the other question is, um, we spoke about the seniority. Can I just go in as a senior medical writer because I've been, a top, I've been a postdoc for five years? Can I just go and be a senior medical writer? And the answer I mean to that is, no, you still need to learn the ropes. You need to learn the industry. You need Industry is totally different from from academia. The way it works is business, and so it's corporate. So it works eaten differently
1: yeah welcome to this new episode of beyond the thesis with papa phd today i have the great pleasure of having with me straight from cape town south africa dr rebecca tadokera rebecca is a medical communications professional who has made a successful transition to the field after spending more than 12 years working as a research scientist in academia She holds a PhD in clinical immunology and a Master of Public Health from the University of Cape Town, and has worked as a senior research scientist and research specialist in a number of academic and public health institutions in South Africa. Rebecca is the founder and CEO of SciHealth Communications, and she is passionate about science communication and its potential to positively impact society. It's a great pleasure to have you here today. Welcome to beyond the thesis with papa PhD Rebecca
0: thanks for having me David uh, it's a real honor to be here this afternoon and yeah I'm really excited to share with your audience what um, experience I have and yeah and learn from each other
1: Rebecca th- and this is actually it's a, it's a also an opportunity for me to kind of meet you in more you know on a one-on-one because again I I, I took part in a, in um, it was on LinkedIn right in those LinkedIn spaces. But also because uh, we're talking about something that I've been doing now for, like I said, thirteen uh, ish years, um, uh, and uh, which which was uh, and which was the first like full time job that I got after my PhD. So medical writing, and um, and yeah. So before we go on and start uh, digging into what the landscape of medical writing jobs look like looks like today. Uh, I'd like you to uh, maybe add one or two more, you know, elements to the the, the presentation uh, I did of who you are, so that people can get to know you just a little bit better, you know, what makes you tick, what motivates you, and and uh, what brought you to where you are today.
0: Yeah, for sure, for sure. So, yeah, I guess you gave a um, good intro, a good overview of um my background. But I guess one fun fact is I'm actually originally from Zimbabwe. (laughs) Yeah. So I moved to Cape Town in way back in 2008 when I came to do my PhD at the University of Cape Town. So since then I've been, I've been resident in Cape Town. So yeah. So I share that I'm pretty much uh, a citizen of both countries now, South Africa and Zimbabwe. So Yeah, I think that's that's one thing that a lot of people don't know about me. (laughs) And I enjoyed it. Did you move for research? Um, I moved actually to do my PhD at the University of Cape Town and then uh, it just became quite difficult for the family to be moving back and forth back and forth i mean zimbabwe and cape, uh, and south africa are quite close but the travel logistics is still quite complicated you sometimes have to do two or three planes to connect so it just became really complicated and so eventually my husband and i just decided to move the family down to cape town and it's really just become home really <laughs> yeah yeah
1: for like so like so many of us who two PhDs so there's you know we know that universities have a huge percentage of graduate students who come from abroad for for the reason that you know uh, first uh, it's enriching to their journey but also i think uh, it's part of the model to to attract uh, talent and brain from from abroad yeah, yeah. And, and i and, think it's
0: one of the metrics actually that um, international rankings having international students are a prestigious thing
1: of course. And you were going to say something more about yourself.
0: I was going to t- say uh, to add to the nature part where you mentioned about how I I do I love the outdoors and Cape Town is such a beautiful city. I enjoy running much better much better than going to the gym because the scenery is just just awesome and you told me you have not been to Cape Town yet so maybe you should just push it up a little bit are you on your priority list <laughs> it's definitely would be it <laughs> yeah it's a lovely place so yeah
1: i, I i'll uh, i'll put it on my list definitely uh and um yeah uh so so the thing that i that i think uh where i want to go next of course you know the reason why i wanted to have you on the show was that i saw how much energy you were putting in just trying to explain the space and kind of lay out the 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 land of, of what medical writing is to people who are just finishing their degree or or just wanting to transition and uh and you know that i felt that energy of wanting to uh to give back to the new generation and i thought you know it'd be great to have you here to kind of do the same for the Papa PhD, uh, beyond the thesis audience, and um, the, but but the, it all starts for me always uh, in the chapter of uh, of your story. How you know we you had your academic journey, then you had your professional research journey. When was it that you first started to think about? Uh, switching to uh, non-research activity? And when was it that you discovered this this domain, you know, this industry, which is medical writing?
0: Interesting that I should ask, Aik, because I was reflecting, as I was part of my preparation and I was reflecting and I realized that um, actually for me, I think the inkling to move out of academia started very early on, um, soon after my PhD, And uh, one of the stories that I always tell is I kept searching on the internet. What else can I do with the PhD in clinical immunology? So Mm -hmm. (laughs) I spent hours on the internet and I couldn't find anything. I think now the space is a lot more information than way back then in 2011 when I graduated. So it took me a while to figure out. In fact, it took me an extra degree <laughs> because after my PhD, then I was like, OK, I think I want to do something that has a little bit more of an impact on the public. And mm-hmm. what do I do now? And the, all of the information says public health. So I went and I did another master's in public health, uh, thinking that, oh, OK, this is going to be the this is going to be my ticket out. Uh, I'd say that it was a fun degree to, to do. I enjoyed it. Uh, but it didn't really take me to where I wanted to because then I went into public health research, which um, was not. I still didn't feel quite fulfilled, so I stayed in academic research for a few more years. I would say it actually took COVID for me to change direction, because it was then during the the COVID pandemic. I think it was just a more of a melting pot because the TB research, that was my focus area, kind of took a knock when it came to, to the funding. So there was really not much I could do with my research uh, fellowship coming to an end and no funding for it. And at the same time, they, they each kept on, I guess, of wanting to communicate um, science and impact uh, society. And I started actually just very informally blogging on on on. More on Instagram than on in Facebook, just sharing information about because it just bothered me a lot the amount of misinformation that was going on around during the COVID time, and so that's basically how I I started and I stumbled into the field. Uh, and back then, I didn't even know that what I was doing was medical writing. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was just disseminating information the best way I knew. So then, eventually, I figured out. Okay, actually, this is a career path. You know, there's people who do this kind of thing for professionally. So I think that was my first contact with with medical writing.
1: Mm-hmm. And then, you know, when was was your yeah when was your first contact with people who actually did it professionally and with people who hired you as a medical writer?
0: So after I found out that this was a potential path that I could actually pursue. Uh, LinkedIn, I think LinkedIn had to do with it. It had a lot to do with it because then I actually went online and I started searching and looking for potential um, roles uh, that hired potential companies, actually. So I went online trying to find uh, companies that hired medical writers. And unfortunately, there's not a lot of companies that hire medical writers here in South Africa. So... And the field is still actually quite new. It's still quite in in its in, in infancy. That's the right word. Right? It's in, in infancy. So there's just a handful of companies that actually hire medical writers. So eventually how I got into my first role was um, through a, an ex-colleague. We had been working together at Stellenbosch University, and she was a postdoc. She was a postdoc. And then somebody referred me and told me, oh, she's actually doing medical writing. And that was when I, I, <laughs> I contacted her. And I was, As a postdoc? You no, know, she quit her postdoc, basically, and took on an associate medical writing role. So then when I found out, then I got in contact with this colleague and I asked, And she said, oh, yes, our company is growing and is actually um, hiring new medical writers. Would you like me to refer you? And so that's how I got hired for my very first medical writing role it was actually a referral. So I think that just speaks to the power of just building your network and connections because in, in medical writing, like I said earlier on, it's a very obscure field. So you might not just find opportunities online or on Indeed or something. Most of the times it's through referrals.
1: Mm. And I, I, for me, it was the same. It was through a referral that I got my first, uh, my first position, which then, you know, led to like almost five years in the same company, you know, to. Right,
0: right. And did you know about medical writing?
1: I did not. We... I did not. <laughs> I, I had to learn about it while talking talking with these people who had done their masters, uh, you know, their degrees in the in the same institute as I had, and I was just asking them how you know what this was about and how they got there. And then one of them said, "Well, you know, if you're interested, let, let's let's you know work on your CV, tailor it, and then I'll I'll pass it on." And so. Uh, and so this uh this was the switch to a full-time job uh, as a medical writer?
0: This was a switch to uh, this was the first switch, the corporate job out of out of academia.
1: i mm-hmm. I'm asking because I, I always like to um to kind of understand and share what was the reflection uh, and what, what was what were the conversations going on um well and also you know, within your your own self but with other people about leaving academia what was the attraction of uh going into the corporate domain or what was it that wasn't working for you in academia
0: the conversations um i think there was a lot of conversations going on especially inside my head <laughs> <laughs> uh, because uh as we all know i mean once we've done a phd the default thinking is that you should be a professor. And we all strive for that, for a spot in the ivory tower, right? <laughs> yep. But the, I think the ivory tower can only accommodate so much and there's only so much funding. And I'll go back to the point of limited research funding. And that is a real issue because most of the jobs in Still today yeah. are soft-funded. A lot of contracts are soft-funded. And if that soft-funding comes to an end... There's nothing much you can do. I mean, you could work for free if you really want to, but <laughs> yeah, who wants to, right? And there's only so many professorships really that can um, can be had. I mean, universities are not on an ongoing expansion, so I think that is one of the big limitations with the academic um, environment, even for people who want to stay in academia. Sometimes I think the environment doesn't always it can't accommodate everybody who wants to be there. So. With that, I guess, comes the thinking that, oh, maybe I failed, you know, maybe I've done something wrong. And I actually went through, I would say, a mourning phase, like really just feeling very despondent that, oh, I didn't make it. I didn't manage to hang on. So maybe I failed, you know. And I think that is something that a lot of PhDs go through. I don't know about yourself or any of the other people <laughs> you've spoken to, but there. that was a real, mm, mm, Yeah. So that was big.
1: Yes. Uh, no, and it's it's really, uh, I think it's a uh, very common and very, um, how can I say, prevalent experience for PhDs. And it's a culture that's been there for a long time and that's still there. That although we all know the statistics are now out and confirmed that, you know, depending on the domain 15, 20% of people have a place as a professor, as a tenure-track professor after their degree, not more. Uh, then uh, if you count people who stay in university in other jobs, in other positions, it can go out up to 40-ish, uh, 50-ish in humanities. Uh, but then there's this other 50, 60% of people, or 80, if you just consider tenure-track, that need to... F- to find their you know to to carve their path in a different space and um, although there's you know universities are trying or or their efforts to create some tools some to uh, you know add some training to the curriculum for career readiness it's uh, you know a a big chunk of people who finish and see and find out that first maybe they found out that they don't want to become professors, but also they, they find out that th- it's really difficult to access those, those jobs. They have this sense of failure and the sense of mourning, like you said, and, uh, it is, uh, it's natural now because the rhetoric and the, the way they sell you a PhD degree, uh, is, uh, how can I say it's, um, not transparent as to what your professional outcomes uh can be uh, at least not not from the outset eventually you get to the middle of your phd or final years and then there are workshops presented but i think it, for me i think it's too late i think you should you should have those that knowledge from day one but i i went through the same and it is difficult.
0: No, I completely agree with you. And I'd say that maybe, um, probably, Canada, Europe, US, or the more um, high income, more developed world, maybe there is more of those workshops. But. Yeah, in South Africa, and maybe even in most of the university, uh, universities in Africa, I think there's that huge gap really of PhDs not knowing what, like, remember, I spoke about what else can I do with my PhD? And that is because that information is just not there, and you are just left. Your own devices as a student to figure out what else must you be doing, and um and, and try to find that, you know, carve out that path for for yourself. So I think the career readiness aspect, I think it's still it's still lacking um, quite a bit. So there's more work to be done there.
1: Yeah, well, that's what we're doing here today. Let's get people ready. Let's get people to know
0: <laughs> exactly what else is out there. What else is out there exactly? <laughs>
1: So I think, you know, we we've covered that part of how you kind of discovered medical writing, uh, how you know why also you wanted to to transition. But now what I re- you know, getting to the, the, the meat of it, you know, what uh is the landscape looking like today? So when I was uh in, in that first company, and here I'm in Montreal, so the company was actually working almost exclusively with American uh, pharma clients. But uh, in your experience, um, what does the, the landscape look like? You know, how easy can people expect it to be to access and to get to their first job as a medical writer once they have finished their PhD, uh, finished their their uh, masters, or their I don't know x year of postdoc. How are things looking like today in on that side of things? Mm.
0: The way I would describe it, David, I would say it's it's more of a mixed bag, uh, and I'll explain a little bit more of, of, about what I mean what, what I mean with that. So, in a way, I think the life sciences industry is on the boom right now, and that speaks to pharma, to research, vaccines. I mean, you name it. There's a lot of growth globally, on a global scale in that in that space. And so that means more opportunities for people who want to go into medical communications, work in pharma, and that sort of thing. And we have seen that expansion. I I told you earlier on that in South Africa, medical communications is quite new. And we have seen quite a few companies actually trying to aggressively recruit and build their businesses in this part of the world and that is because the business is there you can't hire more people if you don't have the business right so i think that speaks to growth in the in the industry but then also um this and this is also one of those topical issues there's ai coming on and we don't know how that is going to impact the industry really i mean everybody's just <laughs> just watching and uh trying to learn and see how this um new technology is going to impact that side, that field because a lot of some of the tasks really actually are automatable you mean you can automate some of the stuff but not everything but it's ai is not going to replace um human Medical writers obvious for obvious reasons. So for that reason, I would say that the landscape right now for me, it feels like a mixed bag. It's growing, but at the same time there's also this uh, this caution, even with companies, I think even with your the hiring, they're probably cautious about that as well. Um, so that's what I would say. I can go um, I don't know if you have any comment on that before I mention the next point.
1: My first comment is AI is going to for certain be part of some of the tools we use. But uh, companies, like especially pharma companies, they're so mm, they they have so many uh, legal um, imperatives. You know, uh, I re- I remember the process uh, in that in that company that I worked it was quite complex of medical med- uh, medical regulation reviews, etc. That I feel that to a certain extent that precludes uh, uh, us from being menaced by AI um to a certain extent i think tools with ai are going to be used for sure but the writing the researching the referencing um it'll take human i i know i hope my my hope and my feeling is that it it takes a human to to do it to do it well and then to get it approved through medreg
0: (laughs) Mm, mm -hmm. (laughs) but um yeah
1: (laughs) Uh, but one thing that I that I can share, uh, and that I think um, uh, I want I'd like you to maybe dig into a little bit more. I can share that 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 company that, that I worked in uh, um, it, it's here based here in Montreal. It's called IC Exxon, and they were actively recruiting young graduates, and then they had this whole onboarding process. So I it was I was I think quite lucky to fall into that organization because. Uh, they they tested you as you know is the standard. You have those writing tests, but um, they had uh, they were ready to train you also to to really onboard you and give you con- you know continued training, uh, knowing that you had no training in writing uh, that you were going to have to change your style uh, from the academic style of writing, etc. Um, wh- what is a and where I'm going with this is what is a path uh for a, a fresh graduate uh into a position, let's say equivalent to yours. I imagine that you need there's an entry path to then becoming a senior medical writer and then you know growing uh your career within the the space. What's the entry path?
0: I think for most of these medical um communications companies, I think the entry uh, requirement is more or less the same for most of the times. They will recruit you and hire you at an, an associate medical writer level, and that I think is an ideal position, especially for somebody who as well. Most of the times they will want a PhD graduate or maybe a postdoc, but um, I don't think a PhD is in essential. I think a recent graduate, a PhD or a master's graduate, or even a BSc, uh, would pretty much fit that entry. Criteria, in my opinion, because it's pretty much like a trainee kind of uh, opportunity. But for somebody like me, I was coming in from um, from academia with all these um, med- years of academic experience. I feel like, in, in in fact, I took a pay cut to get into medical writing. I I've spoken to some people who say that it's it's a little bit unusual, but um, I think. Uh, in some countries they would try to match. But for me, I actually took, because I was coming in and coming from academia, I had already established and got into a position where I was going to be a PI. And then coming back to an associate medical writer role was kind of like a, a few steps back because it's kind of like a, a trainee position. So my advice then for somebody who is coming in from uh, from a more senior academic role, I that somebody should be prepared, you should be prepared to, to make that sacrifice. And for me, the thinking then is I took that um, pay cut was this was um, in a field that was growing, where I had potential to to grow um, as much as I wanted within the company or if I decided to move fields. But I stayed for eight months before I actually stepped out and I decided I <laughs> I wanted more independence and I decided to work as a freelancer really. Okay.
1: okay. So yeah. <laughs> Excellent. So what this is telling me is uh you, you need to understand that although you have this degree, very specialized, you know, the the you know the the top of of the academic uh degrees that you can get the phd uh, or even or even the masters of course but although you come with all these years of studies when you go into another space when you go into industry be it medical writing or something else you will have to learn the ropes you will have to learn the language you'll have to learn uh, the the way things are done in in our case in medical writing you will have to relearn how to write <laughs> right <laughs> 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 Correct. and you need to be ready to for a little while maybe accept uh less uh, uh, income let's talk about about it that way then you had predicted beforehand but then but then also it means that you evolve faster uh later on right true.
0: And I think that's one of the reasons why they want to take somebody who's, who's got a PhD or a postdoc, uh, given a jo- given an option, because they know that that person will be able to learn quickly. And um, you will catch up. Most of the times, for people who have stayed in industry, I've heard a lot of people say that, oh, you actually just, you quickly catch up with the, with regards to the, to the salary. But yeah, you're right. You are spot on in saying that you're not going to just copy and paste your your experience and maybe your seniority level from academia to medical writing. I mean I've heard some coaches because I I coach people on this on, on the side as well. I've heard people who say, Oh, I'm trying to apply for senior medical writing roles and because I've published this and that paper and I was like that's not how, not it, how works.
1: it works. <laughs> <laughs> you can become senior quickly in six months, a year, you can. But you need to prove yourself yeah. within the organization, yeah. Because it is, it is a, a very different exercise of communication, of writing, uh, et cetera.
0: <clears throat> it's very different. It's regulated. It's systematic. I mean, you spoke about the regulation. It's, very, it's quite different. I mean, you don't just write an abstract and submit to a conference like we do in academia. The system is very regulated and controlled. And so, yeah, it's, it's different
1: and so you're you're talking about the people you you coach, and uh can you share what the questions are they come with you or what maybe let's let's start with that what questions people who come to you to to for your help in getting into the space what are the questions the main questions that they that they ask you one or two uh
0: one main question that a lot of people ask is do I need another degree? <laughs> and I think this is a recurring theme because when you've been trained to to be an academic, for some reason we think that everything we do, you need to have a degree for it. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and and I shared earlier my experience of having to go going back to do not I didn't have to, but I went back and did another degree because I thought that's what I needed. So a lot of people who come and say, do um, I must I go and do another masters or is there communications? degree that I must be doing for me to pivot into this space and my answer is no you don't need that you are going to you actually need to lean, learn on the job if you can get an entry-level job that is going to be much more valuable to you than a degree in terms of getting into into the spirit into this space yeah and um I, yeah I think that's one of the main questions and then also obviously the other question is um, we spoke about the seniority. Can I just go in as a senior medical writer because I've been a have been a postdoc for five years. Can I just go and be a senior medical writer? And the question again, the answer I mean to that is no, you still need to learn the ropes. You need to learn the industry. you need industry is totally different from from academia. The way it works is business and so it's corporate. so it works in differently. yeah
1: and now you you mentioned something uh, which is wanting to or need or having the reflex of oh maybe a degree will help help me get a foot in the door and uh, i agree with you that they much prefer years or m- months or years of experience of relevant experience than whichever degree uh, you can you can uh, acquire uh, and that takes me back to to your experience of those 8 months being in that organization seeing what the job is and then saying you know what i can launch myself personally as a as a freelancer Uh, but this can also work in another way which is um you you say okay you know i'm gonna i'm gonna aim for six months to a year in this associate medical writer position and then i leverage that in getting into a a a higher level a better pay position in a bigger organization uh etc is this something that you see is this something that you recommend
0: uh definitely uh, I think that's if if anything, I think that is what most people would do. uh most people would do that, but for me personally, coming back to my story <laughs> for me personally, I feel like having spent so much time in academia, I developed this independence independent thinking, and I was at that level where I was almost um launching my own research group, and so For for me, those were the driving reasons to say, you know what, I actually want to work um, for myself. You know, I want to work independently. And um, I think working for myself also just gives me that um, space. I mean, once you grow as a writer, you obviously get to, to places and spaces where you can mentor other writers and that kind of thing. But for me, that is something I really enjoy mentorship and something that's really is very close to my heart. And it was going to take me a while again to get to that place. <laughs> it was going to be a few years. And I missed that aspect, you know, of interacting with students, of, of um, supervising and mentoring students. And, and so that was that also was one of the drivers, because as a freelancer, if I'm working freelance, I pretty much have control. A lot more control over my time, and so I guess it for me it boiled well down a lot to being able to control my my time and what projects I work on and what else I can do with my time besides the medical writing. Yeah.
1: Yes, and that's important for a lot of people. This independence, and and now a, a follow up question to that comment is: so if someone says, okay, you know, oh, I, I like I kind of like Rebecca's journey, I, I find it interesting, and I, I maybe I want to. F- follow the same i think spending some time in an organization is good for you but it's good for you because you learn the way things work and and the way clients need the work absolutely. done etc uh, 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 but now my question for you is how is it uh, how is the the reality of being a freelancer in the medical writing space in terms of um the types of of projects and the types of clients that you can get so what can people expect to be working on and to be writing uh, once they they put themselves out there and offer their services as a medical writer. Because I think a lot of people, uh, and I've just met a few students this week, they really, they've really they heard the term, but they really don't know what yeah. medical writing they is. They don't know what it means. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. So, yeah, no, definitely. I guess coming back to your point where you said, the experience in a company, in an environment matters. So even though I stayed for eight months, I feel like I learned a lot during those um, six months, especially because I was coming from a whole different industry. So I think if you can, if it's possible at all, I think that experience is valuable if you can get it. But having said that, I've met a lot of people who started off and they never worked for 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 a company. They just started off as freelancers the whole way and they've been quite successful at it so if you're willing to put in the work i think you can still make it whichever route you choose whether you decide to start off in corporate or whether you just decide to start off freelance but having said that um the reality of working as a freelancer is that it's not going to be just money money rolling into your bank it takes a while before you actually um, still before you actually establish yourself i think it's a journey I've said that I spent most of um it took me at least 3 months actually to actually get my first client because there's a lot of groundwork that goes in behind the scenes I mean I I was I I was talking to friends and I was like this reminds me of building a house because when you build a house you know you start from the foundation and not, you don't see anything nothing happens <laughs> doesn't look like anything is happening. You're working so hard. You're putting in the hours, uh, but you don't really see the results. And, but that is important behind the scenes kind of work. You know, all of the networking, setting up your LinkedIn profile to make sure that um, it's optimized, getting a website going, you know, setting up a website, networking, all of that, um, all of that behind the scenes kind of work, I think is very it's, it's something that people don't see in uh, that is the reality of, of freelancing and the marketing as well you know the the making, they call it the rain making that is something if you're a freelancer <laughs> you're gonna have to do all of that for, for for yourself so um my advice is to anybody who wants to go into freelancing is just to make sure just realize that you know what there's a lot of work that goes on behind uh Running a freelance business. I mean, the, the writing is the easy part. The writing is, is easy because you know how to do that. You're a technical expert, so you know how to do that. But it's all of that work behind the scenes. It actually, um, building a business that that is crit- critical. I mean, I at one point you laugh at this, but at one point I actually said, "Oh, maybe I need to go and do an, an MBA." <laughs> <laughs> I've
1: I've played with the idea too, but now I it's it's well it's like in a drawer, and I I, yeah. I, I don't think I'm gonna be doing that. But I think all of us, you know, a lot of us, do that again for, with the same idea of maybe this degree will make me a good entrepreneur or whatever.
0: Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you don't need it really. You need to learn what you need to learn to do the job, but you don't really need more degrees. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what I think.
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to share a comment from the audience. Uh, Senzeni Nkube who says uh, great conversation especially regarding feeling stuck after so many years of PhD research. Uh, Senzeni also asks um, medical you know a feasible path uh, medical writing seems to be a feasible path. Macademia what other paths can social science people follow? Uh, Senzeni today we are talking about medical writing. I recommend you to go and, you know, to go to the Papa PhD podcast to find it on your app. And, uh, there's a bunch of episodes there of people with philosophy PhDs, uh, with psychology PhDs and their, their journeys. Uh, you know, if you're watching and you, if you want to see other journeys than medical writing, please go, go visit, uh, the, the past episodes of the show. You can find past, uh, conversations with with graduates from the humanities uh, i'm thinking of katina rogers i'm thinking of aaron kagan uh, ashley ruba those, those are the three that are top of mind but uh, yeah yeah today we are talking just about medical writing though um yeah. rebecca and, and of course so there's the be- behind the scenes of setting yourself up as a freelancer what about uh, the actual the, the the type of jobs because in medical writing uh, in companies there's you know there's people who are uh like i was in a kind of med uh company there are people who are in cros and are working in the regulatory space there are people uh who actually end up becoming um working in in patents etc uh, in your experience what different types of work of writing are clients asking you to do uh is it more um you know in, in my case it was uh salesforce training type materials uh i've also uh, now i'm actually working more on on patient uh, related uh, projects but what what do you see the market uh wanting uh, of medical writers today
0: that's that's an interesting question um, and i'll go back to mentioning, I mentioned earlier how medical writing seems to be obscure. And what that implies sometimes it's is that it implies that it's, oh, it's a very small field. It's like, oh, just just a very small thing. But actually, once you are inside, you realize just how fast and how broad this field is. I mean, there's so many subspecialties and specialties that one can take or can take on, right? And it's not possible, I think, for anyone to <laughs> to be a specialist in all of those. <laughs> so, <laughs> in terms of uh, where the market is, I feel like there's a lot of there seems to be a lot of demand for marketing kind of um, content. Okay, but I yeah, that's what I see at the moment. It seems to be that's that's something that I see a lot on. I think that's also a lot of the, is to do with this digital age that we are in, like digital marketing. But um, I will go back, I will take a step back and say that um, in terms of what you see and what you get into yourself into before I get into what I actually do, um, as part of that homework and that is that background work that I spoke about earlier. One of the things that if you want to set up yourself, set yourself up as a freelancer is to actually do a reflection exercise of figuring out what it is that you actually enjoy working on. And many times you might not know right away. Sometimes it might actually take a few trials, you know, working on a few different projects before you realize, no, I actually don't enjoy writing blogs or I don't enjoy writing, uh, I don't know, regulatory kind of content, you know, you name it, you name it. So oftentimes you might actually have to try out before you decide what to specialize in. So if you're setting up as a freelancer, I, the easiest way, and it took me a while to figure this out myself. Um, it took me a few months. The easiest way is to actually decide on a speciality and then um, find or, I don't know, get samples or whatever makes Produce, make samples <laughs> that speak to the speciality that you want to, and that also becomes your your marketing, your branding uh, on on LinkedIn or wherever you want to, you decide to market yourself it becomes a lot easier for you to be visible if you are specializing in something. And they always say that it's, it's better to be um, a big fish in a small pond <laughs> than mm-hmm. to be a small fish in a, in a big pond, you know, you doing anything and everything. And so is everyone else. So it becomes very difficult for you to be noticed. So one of the easiest ways is to actually find a speciality and, It took me a few months before I decided to zero in and decide. Actually, I enjoy the education part. I enjoy the bigger, longer projects. I enjoy grant writing. So I'm going to try and focus on that. I enjoy... Producing educational material, so I'm going to focus on that. It doesn't mean that I'm not going to do anything else, but that kind of becomes like my um, my, my my branding, my messaging, something that I'm known in my expertise and I'm building my expertise in, which is very similar to, to academia. I mean, you're going to be a PhD. You're a PhD in clinical immunology. You are not a PhD of any <laughs> at every medical. Condition, you know, you specialize. Yes. So, if you think about it that way, for for anyone who's listening and wanting to go into the field of medical writing, the way academia works in terms of specializing, that's also is very similar. It's mirrored very closely in, in medical writing.
1: Yeah. Excellent, uh, Rebecca. I have a, a kind of a last question I want to ask you, but before that, I, I'd want people to know and learn where. They can find you if you know they want to uh, learn a little bit more about your story and you know get get in touch with you. Where are the best places to find you to to send you a message and to get and you know to get in touch with you?
0: I hang out mainly on LinkedIn, so most of the times you'll find me on LinkedIn. I have a bit of a presence on Twitter and Instagram. But uh LinkedIn is, is, is the main the main my main space really and I put in a lot of effort and energy into building a presence and putting out resources for people who want to make a transition as well on LinkedIn.
1: So on LinkedIn you can find her as Rebecca Tadokera Medical Writer. And then you also have a website. What what's what yes, do you I find was... there? Oh,
0: So that's scihealth.com. So that is my website, basically. Um, that is more to learn more about my business, really, about what I do and um, and the courses that I, I offer, the training. So I also offer um, – I'll, I'll send you links to this. Maybe you can put that in the show notes. Of course. With the, the coaching that I do. So I also offer – one-on-one coaching or sometimes it's group coaching, a four-week program where basically I'm trying to help people to actually get actionable, do practical things in terms of just getting your CV right, getting your LinkedIn right, positioning yourself to be able to get into some of these medical, whether it's medical writing. Not everybody wants to be a medical writer, but some people do want to go into industry. So I offer training that helps people to do that instead of going for another degree or spending 10 years, Googling the internet (laughs) to find information. uh, That's the kind of, yeah. So that's the kind of information that you would be able to find. And um, yeah. and yeah.
1: So do go, uh, go see uh, Rebecca's content. I will put it all in the show notes, uh, all the links that you will share with me and that you, uh, those that you have already shared with me. And now, so to kind of end on, on a practical note, We've been talking about uh, the way things work, the way things work for you, the kind of take home uh, uh, picture that I'm that I'm getting uh, uh, of of what an ideal path is, is find a find an opportunity to learn the ropes. Um, Then if you and it seems that with you 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 already were uh, writing you already were, you know you went for that uh, health uh, policy public health degree so i imagine you already had some samples that you could uh, use or at least you had writing experience that you could uh, you know that you could uh, talk about in those first interviews and conversations but you know blogging etc all of those things that in that you can Start doing right away, and that you can use it as kind of a portfolio. They will help you a lot in those conversations. And then uh, specialization—it's it's kind of the third uh, the third thing—is uh, find a niche that you like and and become a go-to person in that niche. Of course, it takes time. That's also something you said, and it's very true. Uh, putting yourself out there, especially freelance takes time it's a it's a, a long-winded exercise <laughs> but um but if you do it consistently uh and and if you um you know if you keep having conversations if you if you uh do networking uh, it's something that you can do and of course Writing needs to be something that you have some pleasure doing too, or or, or it's going to be difficult. <laughs> you have to enjoy it. So this is kind of the the uh, the uh, ideal and, and a kind of a, a short uh, sum up summing up of of what you what you shared today. But we didn't talk about uh, caveats about what not to do, and I'm sure you've seen people do errors on in, in trying to get into the medical writing space. So can we finish on? you know two or three examples of things uh that you've seen people do wrong and that actually is not helping them or even is hindering them in trying to become a medical writer
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> i've seen plenty of those <laughs> plenty so um i guess one that comes that jumps right at me right away is um Medical writing, we spoke about it's being, it's very controlled and accuracy is a big deal. And every week I get an email from somebody that says, oh, I'm looking for a job. And I look at the email and it's full of typos. It's not been proofread, that kind of thing. And immediately I'm like, no way. There's no way. <laughs> There's no way I'm going to hire you with, with that, you know? So I think if you are going to be wanting to, to make, uh, to go into medical writing, one of the most important things is just—I mean, no one is perfect. We all will make errors, but check if you're going to send, be it an email, being um, a, a writing test, or even your content that you put out on LinkedIn, because it all somehow gets gets vetted. getting it mm-hmm. gets looked at. So, <laughs> if you to it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I remember yeah, it was exactly. super important. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so yes, so it's important to just make sure that you know you have. Putting yourself out there in the best possible light, so that if a pos- potential recruiter or employer looks at your profile, they are not going to see like all of these glaring typos that show that you are a, you know you're sloppy. So that I think is a really big mistake, and people don't realize that. Uh, and I mean, even in when you are interviewing, uh, if you have to submit a, a, a written test for for the medical writing role, even the actual email that you submit, if you don't proofread, no matter how perfectly done, your writing assessment is, you know, you are just not going to get the role. Your CV is part of the the application process. So all of those little things and people, I think a lot of times people miss that and they'll tell you, oh, I've applied to so many roles. I didn't get it. And they will not tell you that your CV was full of typos. (laughs) Yeah. So those are the key things I would urge people to watch out for, especially if they are looking for entry-level roles.
1: Mm -hmm very good and uh and to finish maybe on a so this is really good advice be very very attentive to detail and to finish maybe on a on a positive note what is uh, one piece of advice uh that you can share um of of a great thing to do that that kind of can uh, make you stand out as a candidate
0: a great thing to do um in terms of the actual interview I think what I would advise candidates, if you are interviewing, if you manage, there's a series, obviously there's a number of hoops to jump, but if you happen to get a chance to get to that actual interview, ask questions, be interested, be engaged. I think that makes you stand out automatically because it shows that you are actually engaged and you know um, and read about the role as well. Read about the role so that you have relevant questions to, to ask. Uh, and maybe one other thing that I would add for for a lot of people, which is coming full circle with doing the degree. For most of these people, my advice to them is you already have enough. You've got enough in terms of what you need. And the beauty of medical writing is the, I think the entry barrier is lower than for a lot of other, say, for example, to become, I can't just open, and, and go be an engineer or something like that. But I think the entry barrier is relatively low, it's doable, and most people, if you have a bachelor's or a master's or a PhD, you already have what is required, you have enough. So, yeah, you have what it takes. That's often what I'll tell
1: people. I love that, and it's a great way to to end this interview. You have what it takes, and this message, is, (laughs) I try to uh, convey it to to graduates all all the time, and um, often we are very critical of ourselves and we don't believe we have what it takes and we believe like you said that leaving academia is tantamount to failure and it's not it's just the natural way of things and it's you know 60 70 80% of people will have to find a place outside academia you you've studied enough um, and and if you have a uh, uh, a will to learn and you show if you show this passion for this domain you're getting into. And what you said about showing interest and asking questions, I think it's key to any job interview. Uh, people need to to feel that, okay, this person is going to enjoy working in my organization, is going to be a, a great addition to the team, and actually has done their homework. And all of that counts in any domain. But, of course, also in this domain of, of medical writing. Um, you're, were, were you going to say something? I, I I felt you were going to react. So no, I'm yeah, just
0: agreeing. I agree. I'm okay. agreeing, hundred percent, hundred percent with what you saying.
1: <laughs> so in the trick to to be to show that you've done your homework, the first uh, the first part of the the trick is uh, talk to Rebecca, talk to people who already are on platforms sharing about what the reality of the job is. But not only Rebecca, but you know she's here today. She's so nice uh rebecca i know you're friends with with vicky uh um, and there's, there's a lot of us out there who have done this transition and who are ready to talk to you about what the reality of uh, the job that we're doing is and in you know find a medical writer maybe who came from the same graduate school school as you you know connect with them in on linkedin and say hey uh, i'm finishing my degree i i, I like your journey." Can you talk to me a little bit about what your day to day is, and that will make you such uh, uh, so much better at the interview than if you go in just having read a uh, job posting. So that's great, great, great advice, uh, Rebecca. And I'm thankful that you that you mentioned it. And I think it's a great way to, to finish this interview. <laughs>
0: excellent, excellent. People don't realize that actually getting people to talk about themselves is one of the People's favorite topics is talking about themselves, right? So it's not that hard. It's not that hard to get somebody to speak to you about their journey, you know. <laughs> it is. It's
1: true. And and if people like, I, I always say this, and I I don't get tired of saying it because I think it's important. We are often like shy a little bit and, and you know, timid about reaching out to people. Just think about it this way. If someone is on a social platform, and LinkedIn is a social media, it's a social platform, it's a, it's a community it's because they're open to being reached out to. So don't be shy, and if they're busy, they'll tell you I'm busy, or or they won't answer because they're busy. Don't never never, never take it personally. But, I don't take it uh, best now. <laughs> yeah, but uh, use use make use of the of you know years. Of, a few years ago, I was talking. Who was I talking to? And and they said. You know, because twenty years ago I had to phone all these people. Today I just need to go on LinkedIn and I can reach them and and, and say hi. And so much easier. <laughs> it is it is so much, easier.
0: so much easier. Even if you're an introvert, it has become so much easier to network at the moment. <laughs> yeah,
1: Rebecca, this has been a great conversation. I think people uh, who are interested in medical writing can. T- there's a lot of nuggets in in what you said that they can take home and think about and, and help uh, and use to help prepare themselves to have these first conversations uh, in the space and, uh, and to get a foot in the door. So I want to thank you for, for having been here with me and uh, I'm super grateful that we connected and uh, I, I commend what you're, you're doing in terms of uh, helping people navigate this kind of foggy <laughs> foggy yeah, foggy see, <laughs> That's a nice of, it of, here. of, of <laughs> transitioning from academia and, and yeah, it's always a pleasure to have uh, someone with your energy and, and with a mission like yours here on the show. So thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you. Thank you for having me, David. It was lovely chatting to you. And um, I hope your listeners benefited. Got one or two nuggets that can help their transition. Yeah.
1: Beyond the thesis with Papa PhD is a labor of love. If you like the show and have found value in it, you can pay it forward by donating to help other people like you hear Papa PhD. Even a $5 one-time donation will be really appreciated. So go to papaphd.com forward slash support to donate or to papaphd.com forward slash Patreon to become a patron. Your support will help me cover the cost of hosting, equipment and other recurring expenses needed to bring you a high quality show week after week. Thank you for your support. I am David Mendez, see you next week.